This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. This episode is presented by Solescence, a developer and manufacturer of patented and award-winning environmental protection formulas for beauty brands. Hi, my name is Eve Carmon Perus, and I am CEO and founder of Crayol Essence. For me, it's a matter of poverty alleviation. Things are not always as they appear. I'm Kelly Kovac, founder of Beauty Matter. There's a myth floating around the beauty industry that it's never been easier to launch a beauty brand. I've been building brands for over two decades. And perhaps the barrier to launch has never been lower. Sure, you can wrap labels on some private label product, throw up a website, and you're in business. But do you really have a business? I would argue that the beauty landscape has never been more complicated, more competitive, and takes far more money than it ever has. Eve Carr Montperus, the founder and CEO of Creole Essence, is a poster child for indie beauty. They ticked all the boxes of success a commitment of a million dollars in seed funding, a slew of press coverage and editorial awards. They were part of the Sephora Accelerator program and retailers were lining up. Yet, they were close to going out of business until they secured a deal with Mr. Wonderful on Shark Tank. All right, well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, You know, we've met before Mm -hmm. sort of at various events and we've interviewed you on the website. But when I saw the Shark Tank episode and your husband bringing me to tears, I was like, I'm like, we must, I have to have her on the podcast. And I literally like immediately sent you an email. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, So, you know, I think I want to approach kind of our conversation a little differently because I think you have an amazing story and kind of it ties to sort of your heritage and background, Mm -hmm. but your brand has a much bigger mission than just sort of an ingredient story. And you describe it as a for-profit social impact company. Mm -hmm. Correct. So can you explain what that is, how it ties into the story, like sort of how that all connects, both sort of from the DNA and the story, but from a business perspective? Yeah. So Creole Essence, as you stated, it's not just about um, the products that we provide to our tribe. And our tribe is our customer base, right? Because we are a big family. Um, And I think when I started the company, it was always important to me that I do something that has purpose beyond myself. Um, I think growing up as a um, parent with immigrant parents, I always saw my father helping others. You know, he was born here in Brooklyn, and I saw him teaching GED classes. There was always someone calling us, asking for advice. My mom was a pillar of the community as well and traveled a lot to Haiti. And I think from a young age, it was instilled in me that I needed to make sure that life wasn't just about my needs, but I needed to give to others. So in starting Creole Essence... You know, I had a hair catastrophe. I was having a personal problem where my hair fell out. And there's nothing more devastating for a woman when it's different to get a haircut, but it's another thing when your hair falls out. And that devastation that I felt that I wasn't beautiful 
or that, you know, I wouldn't be seen as attractive to others. That impacted my self-confidence, thus what I can do in the world. Because you need to take bold action confidently. Um, so my first thing was, there are other women who feel like this, who can't go out into the world and be their best selves if they're dealing with hair loss, whether because of a bad style job, a, a hairdresser that added too much heat like I went through, or um, if it's because of an autoimmune disease, if it's because of cancer and they need a natural product that is actually efficacious and works for them. So that's the first part in making sure that other women and men who might be suffering from hair loss can get what they need so that they feel good and can go out into the world and be amazing. But the other aspect of that is, well, who makes the product? Right. Like who's behind it and who wins when the brand grows. And for us at Creole Essence, we work right now with over 300 farmers and women um, to make our products. So I, I can't say that I'm smart enough to have, you know, planned this all out. We were going to create this supply chain that impacts, you know, hundreds of people. But as we started going through our journey of me trying to find this amazing oil, which is Haitian black castor oil that my mom used when I was growing up, when I couldn't find it on shelves, that began the journey to go to Haiti and to start to see, how do you make this oil? And to see that I had to work with farmers in order to get the seeds, because you need castor seeds, and to see that um, in order to make it, women are actually the ones who are more meticulous and patient in order to cultivate it and create it, um, and that we would have to export the product out of the country. Seeing that all the social benefits there, that was really when the light bulb hit that what better way to make a beautiful world than making sure people feel good, but that you're creating work for uh, a country where it's considered one of the poorest countries in the Western Hemisphere. And I'm like, if we can create work in Haiti, then guess what? We could create a blueprint for poverty alleviation around the world. So was was it an export or were what was happening sort of with the product they were, the oil they were mm -hmm. creating? So it was never exported, actually. Oh, interesting. So the way we would, we would, well, if it's not formal export, right. the way it was exchanged, <laughs> if you will, yes. on an informal economy uh, from those from Haiti, I, I always joke that when my mom, when I begged her to send me some from her Haiti stash, or, you know, if you're an immigrant family, or you, when you go away and you know that, you know, you can't find something in the States, you really hold on tight to it. So when I got the bottle from my mom, it was in a rum bottle with tape all over it, and it was really secured. And essentially what people would do is try to sneak it into the country, pray TSA doesn't get a hold of it, um, and people would just do anything possible to just save a few ounces of the oil. And that's really how it was exchanged. You waited till a family member was coming in and you begged them to get you some. And, and you know, please don't forget, you wired them the money to get it in. So it was pretty difficult to find. So what was, how difficult was it to sort of, I guess, operationalize the whole process? Oh I can't even imagine. It was extremely difficult. And I like to say naivete is a beautiful thing. I would agree <laughs> with that. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss sometimes. Ignorance is bliss. If we knew what we had actually signed up for, we probably wouldn't have done it. Right. So it was great that we didn't know. Um, we thought, okay, clearly, how, hard can, this how be? hard can this be? You know, all right, we just need to get a few women to make the oil in larger, you know, um, batches. Um, we'll buy it from them and start to bring it into the country. Well, I had no realization that there was no supply chain, meaning no one did more or created more than maybe a gallon at a time of the product. So imagine now, I mean, 
we produce thousands of gallons, but we are the first ones to do this. So, A, we had to go there and win trust. That's not the first thing I thought I was going to have to do. We had to establish a rapport because I had no idea how to make Haitian castor oil. I had to get the women to understand, even if you teach me and you show me, I'm not going to cut you out, right? I I can't sit here and make all this oil. But I do want to learn so I can make the process easier and start to add machines. So, for example, it would take um, maybe 10 women about a week to make five gallons before. We are not going to produce enough. (laughs) For others, if that's what it takes. So I really had to sit and I say, part of earning trust is, you know, often when you go to a developing country, you think you know best. Mm -hmm. But this was a time where I had to sit at their feet and humbly learn, ask questions, and and really be respectful um, in order to understand the process. And once we did that, then we had to start thinking about, well, she's like, well, I can't find seeds. All right. Now that means I have to work with farmers. And then if the farmer says, well, I need to find a way to make sure I increase my yield. Well, now I have to get into agriculture and I have to start to understand what helps with production, irrigation, what tools um, can be used. So it really became a much larger endeavor than we initially um, anticipated. And were you doing this sort of before you launched or at what pro- – I guess at what point in sort of mm-hmm. the, the launch Lunch. or life cycle of the brand was all this happening? And mm-hmm. I, I would imagine it continues as you scale. But- Absolutely. And that's a great question. I mean, I think like many – entrepreneurs and the best way to go about it is you need your MVP, your your minimum viable product. So when we first went to Haiti, we started to gain trust and I bought back a gallon, to be quite frank. I put it in my suitcase, prayed, and then... And then came back here. Stefan, my partner, life partner and business partner, he created labels. He created bottles. We poured the oil. So you were always doing this together from the beginning. Yes, from the beginning. Um, And the first thing was, do people want the product? So it started initially that way. When we first launched our website and we started to notice it was more than mom and dad buying... You know, that there are others who are interested Mm -hmm. in the product. We said, okay, we have to scale. So at each point where demand grew, there was another lesson. And as demand and continues today, each time demand grows, we learn another lesson. I would imagine. So, you know, you... When did you launch? You launched in 2014? Exactly. So we we launched front-facing in 2014, mm-hmm. but I had my hair catastrophe actually in 2009. Ah, okay. And um, did my first trip to Haiti with my mom in 2009. And then in 2010, r- two days before we were going to take our next trip to Haiti, um, the devastating earthquake happened uh-huh. on January 12th. Um, so that's why the Shark Tank episode was actually extremely significant for mm-hmm. us. Um, it's because it marked the 10-year anniversary of the Haiti earthquake. So I immediately went into relief mode, like most mm-hmm. did. You know, I raised hundreds of thousands of dollars, medical supplies. It was about immediate need. Um, but my mom, sage that she is, but let's not have her hear that. Uh, <laughs> she said to me, it's really great that you are doing all of this, but what Haiti needs and when, you know, Anderson Cooper and no one else is like has a camera on Haiti, people need work. They need dignity. They need to be able to take care of their kids and their families. Um, and that's when we decided to start to focus again on the business. Gotcha. Um, you know, I think, and we sort of discussed mm-hmm. how a lot of small brands sort of paint this very rosy picture, mm-hmm. um, maybe out of 
even just they have to, but they yeah. have to believe yeah. it's all uh-huh. perfect. And sort of behind the scenes, mm-hmm. it's sort of anything but, but sometimes. And, you know, I think one of the things that kind of surprised me mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. complete honesty sure. with Shark Tank mm-hmm. was I I was like, from the first time I met you, I was like, wow, they are killing it. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you checked all the boxes. You had this amazing story. You had this amazing purpose. Dynamic founder. Um, you had clean formulation, sustainability, like... You had celebrities, Mm -hmm. you had, like, you literally checked all the boxes. Then you were in the Sephora Excel, like, Mm -hmm. literally. Um, And yet, you know, when you were on Shark Tank, it Mm -hmm. wasn't easy. And there were times where you actually thought, like, you couldn't keep going. Yes. Which, you know, which was, I think, I I would have to guess other people in the industry probably Mm -hmm. had no idea either. I think it's important to share mm-hmm. these stories because I think there's sort of a perception these days that it's never been easier to launch beauty yeah. brand. Yeah, uh-huh. you'll just put up a website, right. have a great story. It's super easy. Yeah, you'll be a and unicorn before you know it. Exactly. And I think it's important to actually have real conversations. Agreed. So thank you mm-hmm. for being willing to have a real conversation Absolutely. about your story. So tell us what was really going, going on. on. Sure. <laughs> so one is around the painting Rosie story. I think, I'll say for me, from a cultural perspective, as a Haitian-American, we grew up, not that you hide what's going on, but you don't focus on it, right? So it's it's more so, okay, this happened, you're not happy, but okay, move on to the next and just keep on moving. So Stefan often says, he's like, honey, you make it look too easy, you don't take enough time to talk about the challenges, but for me, if I'm asked... I'll talk about it willingly, mm-hmm. uh, but I think culturally speaking, it's just that you just keep moving, you just keep trying, and I think our mission is just so important to me that, you know, I'll sulk and cry and do what one will do when things are tough, and then I'm like, all right, time to get back up. If these women can deal with the challenges that they do with hunger, with um, illnesses, and still get up every day and make it to work and continue on with life— for me, it's like, who am I to sit there and complain? Um, so that's kind of like my reasoning where I think sometimes the challenge doesn't come out. Um, but in 2016, yeah, we, we, we actually, and some folks don't know this, we had um, raised about a million dollars. And um, we got all these international development agencies on board and we didn't actually get all million dollars, but we quickly learned that there was a schism between what it means to run a a growing quick business um, and deal with institutions that are very process oriented. Uh. And, you know, so it's like when the order comes in. You need the money now to, you know, buy raw materials, to get production going, and then you have to align for a shipping. But if it's not, if the right box is not checked or someone's out on vacation, so a growing business, you need money now and it could take months in. Um, and that was our first lesson in understanding having smart capital. And that means having folks who understand your business having folks who understand what the supply chain looks like and who understand that, hey, you might get this large PO, but you have to fund it and you may not get paid for 60 to 90 days. And someone who's not in the sphere may not know all those dynamics. So that was one of our first lessons um, and something that was really hard because it's like, if I raise all this money, why am I still poor? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> why can we not pay the bills? Um, and it's just that the timing was off. So that was the first lesson. The second lesson is that, you know, we, we touched upon a bit that we didn't know that the supply chain wasn't there. That's not what we, you know, thought we were going to have to do. So in the early days of Creole Essence, we primarily focused on um, B2B. So we were selling the castor oil ah, okay. to... Um, other businesses who would add the castor oil to their formulations. Well, guess what? They don't really care about our story, our <laughs> mission, and, you know, all the great things we want to do in the world and keeping the quality high. The two things they cared about was the cost. Can mm-hmm. you make it cheaper? Which we cannot. And can I get it faster? And can I get it faster? <laughs> and um, we were sole sourced. We, you know, because we were growing so much um, from one client and then also trying at the same time to build um, capacity when the client could not get their product early enough. They said, we found someone cheaper. It's not the same quality. They told us that. They said, but we have a deadline we have to meet. And they left. So I think in the Shark Tank episode, like we started off year one, great, $150,000. That's great for a a new brand. And then we went to $40,000 and everything stopped. It came to a halt. Um, You know, Stefan talks about the fact that working with your partner Mm -hmm. is also a different dynamic. Yes. Because that means it's not as if like I had a hard day at the office and then I got to go home to my husband and just say, my partner is horrible or my you know a uh, boss is horrible he is the partner <laughs> he is the one that we're having fights around this should be done what do we do um and because i was away so long so i was spending months at a time wow. in haiti and he was here in the states so that means you know you for, you lose some um understanding about what the other party is dealing with both from a personal side mm-hmm. and a business side while they're away. I'm in Haiti dealing with farmers and like sometimes I don't have the internet and sometimes I don't have water and you know trying to deal with that dynamic. Well, he's here and he's trying to do marketing, sales and and you know keep things afloat operationally. Um so you know it was a challenge personally and then you're looking at well no one's getting paid. Mm-hmm. How do we pay the bills? Now, the one thing is mama always told me, have your savings. Mm-hmm. So we made sure that it's literally we lived on our savings mm-hmm. um, and budgeted everything. Um, so to not have that income coming in, not only were we worried about the women, now we were worried about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we pay these bills? I actually called my mom during that time where things seemed to like they were just unraveling. And she was just like, well, come back to the States and, and let's just have lunch. And I and my mom has actually, as an adult, never heard me cry. Mm-hmm. Right. Because remember, we're not criers. Right. We're doers. We keep going. And I remember calling her crying and she was like, yep, yeah, I'll buy your ticket. Just get back home. Because she's just like, this girl never cries. Mm-hmm. And um, she was like, have you heard of a place called Whole Foods? <laughs> And I was like, yes, mom, I've heard of Whole Foods. She's very cute. Um, And she's like, let's have lunch there. Um, But my mom didn't actually know that we had been turned down three times by Whole Foods already. Stefan had gone. I had hired somebody else to go. And as is my, my custom, I'm a product junkie. If there's a beauty aisle, I'm walking the beauty aisle and seeing what's on there. And then I saw an oil that was marked as black castor oil, but really wasn't black castor oil. I checked it and I was just, I became so upset. And I was like, okay, mom, I'm having lunch with you, but then I need to speak to the buyer. And I asked to speak to the buyer and they're like, come back later. I always have product in my car and my purse. I came back and she was stocking shelves. 
I sat on the floor, started stocking shelves with her, started telling her about our story, our mission, having her smell the oil. And she was just like, this is amazing. This is different than what we have here. And she's like, this this mission aligns so well with what we're looking to do. Um, and it was from that that we we were able to really get our first, yes, this is something that fits in here. And, you know, folks were just like, oh, it's amazing that you got into Whole Foods. But some don't know that I went to 60 Whole Foods after that, personally in Miami. And then I was like, I'm learning about what does the company need? What are the buyers and the folks on the floor? What's missing? Like, I really need to know this company um, for it to be a true partnership. And I was like, I just learned so much by going through a few stores in Miami. Well, do this in New York. Do this in Boston. Because so many people outsource that to someone. Yes, to someone else. And you know what? In the beginning, I tried to do that. It didn't work. It wasn't the same. Um, I And I don't think it always has to be the founder, but sometimes that personal connection with the founder. And then if you are going to lead your organization, mm-hmm. some things you need to have done first, mm-hmm. because even if you're going to train someone else about how to do it, you need to have done it yourself. So I kind of kicked myself that I didn't do it myself the first time, <laughs> waited till like we were almost <laughs> not to <laughs> implode, but doing that really helped. So that was sort of the beginning of getting things on track. Right. So from there, we went from 40000 to $320,000 in the Amazing. next year. And I think the key thing, like if, if no one takes anything else out of this, also what helped push things along, because you see, even when you have a buyer and you have a retailer who's excited about you, it's a lot of work to onboard a new brand, to take a chance on a new brand. So sometimes it's not that... Uh, you know, the buyer is is being lazy or is, is not excited about you, but someone has to be willing to go push and make sure that you come on. And because we started to focus on our con- customer instead of going B2B, mm-hmm. but started to talk to her mm-hmm. every day, Instagram, emails, Facebook, all of a sudden we were learning what she wanted. We had a relationship that wasn't a one-way conversation and we could also talk to the buyers about what she wanted and what this fit. And also we kind of had a little campaign where we had our customers email each of their different regions to say they want to buy. Well, afterwards, I remember one of my best regions called me and said, please stop. <laughs> we have had over hundred, you know, hundreds of customers email asking about the product and they're excited. We're bringing you on. No need. We've got the message that you have folks who want this product. So all throughout the, the process, really what keeps us going through hard times are our customers. Mm-hmm. They are the ones who are fanatic about the brand, the mission, and the product. Be a beauty brand with a brain. This is a trend we've seen growing at a rapid pace over the years. Proving your credibility with science is now a must. Solescence is a developer and manufacturer of patented and award-winning environmental protection formulas. Their mission is to enhance human well-being through the creation of extraordinary products that provide experiences to amplify the health and beauty of the skin. They offer brands custom product development and turnkey solutions that all feature innovative mineral, non-nanotechnology that makes zinc oxide work for everyone and gives brands the newest innovation in skin health. For more information, visit solescence.com. That's S-O-L-E-S-E-N-C-E.com. So where in 
the process did the Sephora Inc. It was 2017. Exactly. You were part of the Sephora Accelerator. So it was one of the early Yeah, we were the second cohort. Second cohort. Second cohort. So what was that? What was that process like being part of that? Okay. So we like to say at Creole Essence, nothing is ever easy for yeah. us. <laughs> um, so there, you might know, and I think you know about Lila Jenna. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there aren't many women in, or there aren't many brands in the beauty space that are really focused on poverty alleviation and creating work, right? There are a lot of other um, give back components, but kind of like being maniacal about that, she is one of them. And Stefan saw that she was part of something called Sephora Accelerate. And we're like, what is that? Because to be quite frank, Sephora was that elusive company that I recall saying to folks, I want to be in Sephora. And they'd say, oh, they'll never take you. Like your brand doesn't fit there, you know, textured hair, um, you know, inclusive communities. That's not what people are looking for at the time. So we actually thought that it was out of reach. But and this is the power of seeing someone similar to you, someone who has a similar ethos to you or a mission do something. All of a sudden we were like. We can do this, too. Mm -hmm. So we started to email friends and say, does anybody know anyone at Sephora Accelerate? Um, We we actually uh, had a customer who was on one of the marketing teams, and she loved the product. And she started off by pitching it and saying, I think this would be a great brand. Um, And simultaneously, we applied. And at the time, you couldn't cold apply. You had Mm -hmm. to be invited Uh, to apply. Because now it's just... It's sort of open. Now it's open. Yeah. So we were just like, we just want an invitation to apply. So we finally found, and this is the power of using your network, and you don't know who's in your network. We email, I emailed everyone who's on our LinkedIn, anyone who had something to do with beauty and business to say, does anyone know anyone in charge of the you know, impact area at Sephora? Someone did. And they said, we'll email them some information about you, and we'll see what happens. No promises. And then we got an email that said, Hi, we got this email about you. We love the fact that there's such an amazing impact component. We're actually thinking about textured hair. She's like, what? Um, and we had a conversation. And then they were like, submit the video. You're a little late right now, but go ahead and apply. And the funny thing is, I was in Haiti when I had to submit a video. So you heard the roosters. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> you heard like cars going by. It was real. By. It was real. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. There's no quiet place right now in Haiti. You're just going to see it all. Um, and what was also great, there was a group coming to visit one of the farming partners. So they were like, we were making Sephora and Creole Essence videos. It was amazing. And that's actually how we got into the Sephora Accelerate, right as we were also um, uh, getting involved with Whole Foods. So, but really customers and, and those who believed in us mm-hmm. helped to get traction all the way. And President Clinton came. Yes. And uh, He's where visited- was that in the, in the sort of the trajectory, trajectory of things? Yeah. So in 2015... Uh, yeah, it was early on. There was just, there's always a lot going on. Yeah. But in 2015, he visited. Um, early 2016, Chelsea visited. Um, and it, the idea was to see how do businesses actually have an impact when they work with smallholder farmers and smallholder producers. And what's the synergy between uh, what they call an SME, a medium-sized business, mm-hmm. and these smaller co-ops? And how do they, you know... Um, help to support each other along the value chain. Um, And that was nice because he actually had real questions around the business. He had studied what we were doing. So it wasn't just kind of like fluff, you know, take a picture. 
And I mean, I, I couldn't sleep the night before. I'm sure. I was so <laughs> nervous. But once he was there walking around with us, it, it was nice to just have a really intelligent conversation about what we're doing. And then my mom pushed me away and then she got, you know, <laughs> got to talk to President Clinton. And it, it's nice when your parents see that someone else that they respect mm -hmm. doesn't think you're crazy for quitting your job right? <laughs> and being on a farm. So they're like, you might actually be onto something. You've got Haitian parents don't give like uh -huh. acknowledgement too too easily. So that that alone was like a huge deal. So at what point? So you raised sort of theoretically a million dollars early uh -huh. on. At what point did you start thinking about raising money again? And how did you arrive at Shark Tank as uh -huh. the, the the option <laughs> to do that? Right, I've been asked that like crazy. So. You know, a couple of times during our journey, so 2016, money doesn't come in. We lost our, our biggest client. No one's going to invest in you in that point. Um, and in some ways, that was the best thing to happen to us because what the universe was trying to tell us is to pivot, focus on your customers. And once we did that, Revenue came, and uh, I remember in the Cornell Business Incubator, they would tell us, sales cures all, Evie. Sales cures all. So just go sell. Go sell. Um, so once revenue started coming in again, when you get your first PO from Whole Foods, who's going to pay to you know get the raw material right. in? This is not even anything fancy. It's just we just needed $50,000 to be able to make it. And we started looking at the options, and all of them were lengthy. All of them didn't quite fit us. And... I, again, our community sent a few emails to my mentors and who said, we'll put in some money. And they weren't big size, uh, you know, checks, but they were the most important checks we received in the company, including my mom giving $5,000, Stefan's mom giving $3,000. And guess what? We hadn't asked them for it. We didn't we would never ask them to, to, you know, take money out of their savings or what have you to invest in the company. They literally were like, take the money. We still signed a contract. They still mm -hmm. have, have their convertible <laughs> notes um, like anyone else. But, uh, you know, it was a family and friends round, which we didn't even think of as an option. And was actually because they trusted us. They saw how much we were sacrificing. That helped us get the first $50,000 necessary to fill the PO. So there was no marketing budget. Mm -hmm. There was, you know, no nothing fancy. It was just enough money to buy oil and get it from the farmers and women in Haiti and then to fill our peels, which, by the way, we were filling in our house at, in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Hope was probably hear this now and be like, what? <laughs> um, we don't fill in our house anymore. Yeah. We do now have a proper 3PO and supply chain here. But that was the beginning. Mm -hmm. Interns and us filling the bottles that came from Haiti. And so at what point did you realize that you needed to raise more substantial money mm -hmm. to plenty of times? Plenty I, of I times. am good at projecting. Yeah. Um, and several times along the way, we felt like we should look at raising. But I think many founders will tell you raising capital takes so it's a much. Job. It's a full time job. You could not do anything else yeah, for a it's while. A job. And often, you know, I think. Is it more important to just sell and focus on, you know, building the business naturally, gradually, organically? Mm -hmm. Or is it important to, you know, explode to to get um, additional well, it's capital? it's interesting because I think the, you know, I often, I'm, I often wonder, like, what happened to those days of just running a really good business, being making profitable. a really nice living, mm -hmm. being profitable? I mean, that's a yeah. novel concept. <laughs> In, instead of, like, success being dictated somehow on how, how much, much money you raise. you raise, which is 
Yeah, insane. Uh huh. Yeah, it, it is not indicative of if your business will grow, how valuable it will be. And I think we're seeing this issues with a lot of D 2 C brands who now valuations aren't coming in as they expected. Investors, you know, have inflated uh, what these companies are worth. Beauty brands are not tech companies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you need to give it time. And there yeah. are going to be those unicorns, and I celebrate that, and I think yeah. it's possible. Um, but it's a bit more nuanced, like anything else, and and folks need to think about that a bit more strategically. And if you start off with an indie brand, Sure, you may not be able to put large amounts of capital, nor is it correct to try to push them to, you know, like 10x, 20x, 30x. Sometimes a little bit more time, patient capital, as we call it, will reap large dividends in the future. And and that's a that's a gap. The missing middle is what we usually call it when a brand is not small enough where they don't need $10,000 or microloans, but they don't necessarily have to have five to 10 million, sometimes 500,000. A million dollars is just enough to give them enough runway to continue to prove out their concept and grow. And I think there's a plenty of sort of people are reevaluating what is small and incubator. So I think yeah. it's definitely changing. I, you know, I think one of the things kind of when I watched Shark Tank, mm-hmm. um, I have to say, you are like a force to be reckoned with. I would not want to negotiate with you. I appreciate that. Um, I mean, like you totally went head to head with Mr. Mr. Wonderful. (laughs) But really, it seemed like, you know, you really did not get flustered. Like the terms Mm -hmm. were not acceptable to you. Mm -hmm. He was the only one on the table. And I'm sure it gets edited for high drama. Uh Uh-huh. But it really was dramatic. Yeah. It actually, it's funny. I left the tank and slept for about 15 hours. I I was so exhausted. uh, Because it was so emotional. I think one that's important for me or or a message my mom always um, said is that people are people. So at the end of the day, you always need to be respectful. Uh, You always need to be courteous, but you still need to be clear. You still need to know what what do you stand for? Because at the end of the day, that's what you have um, that folks are going to judge you on. Uh, And I think Stefan and I also feel like this extreme responsibility to our community, to the different groups who we are part of. So we have our social impact entrepreneur community. We have our indie beauty community. We have like our Sephora, our Ulta. We have the Haitian community. We have the African-American community. We have women. There's so many different groups, particularly the marginalized ones that, you know, we have to think about what our decisions, what the implication is for them. And someone might say like, calm down, girl, you don't need to think about all these things, but that's truly how we feel. So when it comes to that, I'm not actually thinking about myself. Well, that was clear because, yeah. Stefan, it was so mm-hmm. emotional. It, it was. And it was, I think I think even sort of everyone on Shark Tank sort of got teary-eyed too. Well, they didn't show this, but everyone on Shark yeah. Tank cried. Yeah. They edited that and I was just like, come on. Yeah, but it, you know because, because you, it was so clear that it was not about you guys. No. That it was you needed the money because this brand and this business is bigger than you. Exactly, and and I think an interesting conversation came up as a side note around should you cry and be so vulnerable in well, a business it, meeting? And it was also, I mean, it was your husband, not yeah, you. It was, yes, <laughs> and that was another big thing. They were just like. Men aren't supposed to cry. Those were some of the comments really? around that. And, you know, gender norming and gender roles, it was it was 
interesting and still shocking to see that we're in 2020 and we still assign these very specific yeah. roles to folks, um, which I think causes lots of mental health issues among men, particularly black men, um, because you're taught you don't cry. You don't get to express emotion. And I'm thinking, well, Kevin O'Leary, Mark Cuban, Damon John, they all cried. Right. They didn't show it to you, but everyone was in tears and needed a moment because I don't think it was a cry to please fund the no, business. It wasn't, That's not what it was about. It was it was palpable. Yes. Like it it was just sort of like this is so important mm-hmm. and not about us. It's not about and us. And we can do so much good. Yes. But you still weren't gonna take the terms. No, I still weren't gonna <laughs> take the terms. I, I can cry and still <laughs> I know. I was like, wow, she pulled it right together. Well, I always say if you've ever seen seen Haitian women negotiate at the marketplace I'm nothing compared to them like they will make me they will make me cry the way they're just like you're not getting those plantains and those bananas and all those things this is the value I assign to it and they stick to it um so I think I always say subconsciously I've seen that so many times at the marketplace um because it's a skill and and I love that women are the ones who own that skill mm-hmm. in Haiti because women are the ones who run the household. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who have to make sure the bills are paid. And we all know that stat that if you invest in a woman, you invest in an entire village. And there's science and stats that show most of the time men are great. My husband's great. But statistics show often when you give the money to men, it may go to alcohol, um, their other wives, <laughs> and other activities. Um, and that's so it goes to show you that inherently women, when they're fighting, they're fighting for a larger community. So what what was it where you were like, I'm going to, like, you know, because Mr. Wonderful loves yes. the, the royalty. Royalty deals. Um, and you were like, it was that was kind of like how you, in the end, yes. secured the deal. So, I mean, of course, always do your research around. Right. Who you're meeting with, one cannot take that for granted. And we're avid Shark Tank watchers. We've loved the show for the whole 12 years that it's been on. But it's also funny what you forget while you're in in the midst of negotiating. And I'm thinking, there's no way we could give up this much of the company. 37% was what he asked for. And there's no way that the amount he was looking to invest would constitute a 37% um, ownership stake in the company. And I thought, well... How do you make this a win-win, you know, which is often a thing you need to go through in your mind. How do we win? But I also want him to win because I do believe in the power of business and capitalism and making money just as much as I believe in, you know, helping to provide um, solid income, wages um, for others and providing a quality product that consumers generally love. So that's when the royalties came to mind. Uh, And I thought, all right, let's talk out loud here. And would that be something that you're interested in? Um, And he made us all live. He's like, a royalty deal? That brings a tear to my eye. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it was a great way to kind of like, okay, we're all on the same page. Let's all get back to, you know, uh, where it's not so... Con, uh, contentious um, we're back on the same page to negotiate and think about what works for both parties so what has it been like since Shark Tank and, and having sort of someone that is sort of that tapped in and, mm-hmm. and I mean you know can really move a market. market yes you know I have to say that 
again, our community. So beforehand, once we, you know, so we, we and sort of an unlikely person to invest yes, in a, a beauty brand from Haiti. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not who you were thinking about, though. I always say Kevin is my favorite shark along with Mark Cuban, mm -hmm. um, on, on Shark Tank, because I do love his business prowess. Mm -hmm. And one of my hopes is that, A, that I continue to learn and grow as a woman, as a woman of color in business, because often social impact brands aren't thought to be serious about the numbers in business. And that's a... That's a misnomer. That's not true. Just because we care about impact, it doesn't mean I don't care about margins and debt to income ratio and PLs and all that stuff. When he was the one that we were negotiating with, it also felt like a good validation around we have business sense. Mm -hmm. And he was like, You have sales. Um, and we've worked so hard for, for it sales. for those sales. So we really wanted to show, yes, we do. There's a market here. So that was validating. Um, and I think really to see how our, again, I have to say our community, our tribe reacted, they were the ones who saw the promo before we did. Uh. And at right from the promo, sales already started to increase mm -hmm. online mm -hmm. because everyone took it as this is pride for them. You know, from... Ivy and the folks at um, Beauty Independent to, you know, our different, our alma mater, Cornell, mm -hmm. uh, to, you know, we're launching at Alta mm -hmm. um, in a few weeks. And just mm -hmm. to see how everyone was energized, it was a reminder of this is why we're here mm -hmm. and how amazing is the product as well. And we literally were able to get out of back order yesterday. Oh, uh, congratulations. Thank you very much. That feels like the biggest feat in the world. <laughs> well, you know, I almost feel like we need to have like a part two with you. Like, you know, you just sort of are getting your your sort of feet wet with yes. the, the new partnership. Mm -hmm. And it would be really exciting to to like talk to you again mm -hmm. in, I don't know, six months yes. and sort of see like because this is a big, this is a huge, a huge deal for us. Like we worked so hard, had several meetings um, with Alta to really uh, think through how will the partnership work and what would the impact have. So to think about it, we're launching nationally in all 1,200 doors, which is a huge deal. Yeah. Usually you start online, yeah. then you do like some test stores. And then, you know, if you perform well, you go into 1,200 doors. But I think it speaks to like what's the highest validation that Everyone on the Alta team um, really believes in our products and has seen our growth. Um, and they're excited about the impact that we're going to have because it's going to change the game. A, the first Haitian brand, first with a Caribbean brand to um, help to set the tone for 30,000 families in Haiti. Um, so we are so thankful for their partnership and belief in us. So we're just going to consider this part one. Part one. And we're yes. going to come back. Whenever you feel like it's time to tell the story, um, because I think I think it's important to tell sort of the real side mm -hmm. of of and we I like I love your story. The, Thank you. The it's not only the story, but it's the commitment to like really making a difference. So. Totally thank you so much, and you. thank you for uh, allowing us to share our story. Yes. And I know for me, when I need inspiration, I scour you know, podcast to hear the true story, to hear how do folks make it. Um, so thank you for creating a space for entrepreneurs to know they're not alone, that they can get through it. And it does get challenging, 
but you can succeed each step of the way. So how can people connect with sure. you? Sure. So um, at Crayol Essence, K-R-E-Y-O-L-E-S-S-E-N-C-E, that is our handler for everything. We're able to keep that. <laughs> CreoleEssence.com at Creole Essence. Awesome. Um, and we have a team that is now um, helping mm-hmm. um, on, on all of our social, but I personally get on our social a lot because I think it's important as a founder to stay extremely connected um, to our community. And then my personal personal handle is all at Evecar, Y-V-E-C-A-R, on all social media channels and always looking forward to talking to other entrepreneurs. All right. So you let us know when it's time to talk again. Oh, yes. Can't wait to be back. Thank you. And good luck. Thank you so much. I don't think you need the luck, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Appreciate that. For Evecar, it's a matter of poverty alleviation. Creole Essence has always had a bigger mission than selling beauty products. They're on a mission to have a positive and global impact. Their commitment to Haiti and the people of Haiti is more than a marketing story. It is everything. There's a certain amount of faking it before you make it as an entrepreneur. There's also a lot of posturing for all manner of reasons. And for some founders, it's always 68 degrees and sunny in their world, which has helped perpetuate the myth that you can build a beauty brand and in short order, Estee Lauder or L'Oreal will be showing up at your door with a billion dollar check. Eve Carr has given a true gift to beauty entrepreneurs in sharing the unfiltered version of her story. Even when everything is going your way and things look bigger than they are, building a beauty brand is hard work and it doesn't happen overnight. Her grit and her unwavering commitment to building a social business that creates jobs, protects the environment, and empowers women is a business that deserves to succeed. If you haven't watched the Shark Tank episode where Eve Carr and her husband landed a deal with Mr. Wonderful, do it. But make sure you have a box of tissues. The level of commitment they have for this mission and the people it serves is worthy of investment and it's worthy of wild success. So in the end, it's a matter of poverty alleviation. I'm Kelly Kovac. See you next time. My name is Eve Carmont-Perus. What matters to me is poverty alleviation. And to me, beauty is the perfect way to create a billion-dollar business that matters for the consumer and can help change the lives of others around the world. It's a Matter Of is a production of Beauty Matter LLC, copyright 2020. You can find more content and insights on beautymatter.com and follow us on social media at Beauty Matter Official. This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard.